Hi! Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we check in with Rob Gale, GM, head coach of Valor FC. How's the offseason going? What does he think of the Canadian Championship draw, having to face CPL champion Forge in round one? Then we'll talk to a Liberian-turned-Winnipegger who's trying to make the Olympics in boxing. Lost her qualifier, but her story's still incredible. And yeah, when she got here, she thought it was pretty cool. And finally, we'll check in on the Manitoba Junior Hockey League just past the halfway point with Commissioner Kim Davis. That's all on the podcast. Today, the 2020 Canadian Championship draw was unveiled here in Winnipeg. Valor FC learned that they'll be taking on Forge FC, the champions of the Canadian Premier League in June. And we are joined now by the head coach and general manager of Valor FC, Rob Gale. Rob, how are you doing? Christian, I'm well, thank you. How are you? Good. Enjoying your off-season so far? Or is there an off-season? <laughs> yeah. No off-season for the staff, mate, but uh, it's uh, it's intense, but it's always enjoyable. So let's start with the draw today. It was uh, announced that you're playing Forge, and then if you win that, you'd face Cavalry. It, do you really, is it too far to look ahead to this? What's the, what? Do, how do you interpret what we learned today? Um, yeah, I, I think it is a little bit too far ahead. There's a lot of organizing and, and formalizing our squads. We're going to look a lot different next year. So you you can only read so much into it. Um, I think the, the worry probably for most CPL sides is you might draw one of the uh, amateur teams and then it's a potential banana skin and, I think it's good for us. We're facing the team that won the first ever CPL championship. So we know it's going to be a good test. They're they're going to be largely unchanged next year. So we'll look forward to that two-legged tie against them. So you got to watch Hamilton's team beat Cavalry in the final. I know we've asked you this question before, but what does it take and how long does it take for a club like Valor FC to get to the same level as those two clubs? Um, yeah, I mean, good question. Hopefully uh, sooner rather than later, and that's certainly our aim. Um, both of those clubs have been pre-existing, as we've talked about before, and, and talking to Tommy uh, at Cavalry, and although they didn't win the final, they were the team of the year for me, having won both of the leagues. But um, he said it took a good three to four years to try and get that culture right and the right people in the dressing room. But that's not to say that you can't have success along the way as well. So. I think more better characters. Uh, the first year was certainly about learning the level of the Canadian Premier League and what that looked like, which players are going to be capable of playing at this level. Uh, and then for us now, it's going out and finding more of them and improving the squad and, and building on the success that we had off the field in terms of the building of the club and out in the community and uh, and the development of soccer in the province. So take me back one year, this time in December of 2018. What do you know now about putting together a soccer club that you kind of wish maybe you knew then? Uh, I don't think any would change anything about building the club. Uh, certainly the values, the culture, the quality of people and the character that we want to represent, the name Valor, represent uh, Winnipeg and Manitoba. Well, that that's never going to change the philosophy of of play and style of play and everything else, I think is going to be very, very similar. But now knowing the level uh, and and hindsight's a wonderful thing, especially in the year 2020 coming up. <laughs> of course. <laughs> we, uh, we, we know that 
certain players, first-year professionals, it's a, it's a challenge. Uh, you know, uh, we now know uh, 95,000 kilometres in the air, uh, playing in temperatures of plus 40 on turf and minus five on a cold night in cavalry. You have to have people that can adapt, people that have the right uh, spirit, should we say, within the room and adversity to come through those extremes. And there's going to be difficult times in any season as there is in all sports, uh, injuries, etc. So I think we know more about the type of people we want in our room and certainly know... Uh, of the ones we had, which ones uh, are capable of of coming back and, and making an impact here? Now, uh, the percentage of players you have now that will be with the team next year, how much turnover should we expect to uh, to see here? Yeah, still, that's a good question. It's still very fluid, really, to be honest, because uh, some have contracts and some don't. Uh, some uh, are going to try to get into higher levels in the next couple of months, may return. Others have family situations that may or may not lend themselves to returning. And, and then there's a, a a good amount that we probably wouldn't invite back. So uh, I'd say you can expect anywhere from, uh, it'll be a minimum of 50% for sure. Okay. And uh, it, it, it could be it could be a lot bigger. Okay. Talking with Rob Gale, head coach and GM of Valor FC. Did you learn something about the the league and how it was perceived around the world? Did you hear from people worldwide of how much respect maybe there was, maybe surprise at the level of competition in the CPL in year one? Yeah, I think, you know, nobody worldwide would have uh, would have known the level or, or probably, if we're honest, pay too much attention to it. Um, so, uh, but what is interesting now is how many players from around the world and how many agents and other groups see it as a very good market to place players. And we're getting videos and, um, you know, highlight reels and CVs of players from, from all over. And I think we underestimate sometimes how, how big a draw Canada is and what a great country it is in to live. And now with this league here, I think that's a, that's a big selling point and people are excited about it. And then I think in North America and people who, who watch the MLS or have seen Canadian soccer in the past, there was an overwhelming feeling that it was a good 15 to 20% better than they anticipated it was going to be. The level of play here, the quality of football uh, certainly surprised a lot of people. So I think on, on both of those fronts, there's, there's a huge amount of interest now. And I think it's only going to increase and improve. And I guess the way we should look at the CPL is it's kind of like a springboard lead. We shouldn't league. We shouldn't expect people to you know have fifteen year careers in one place in the CPL. There's going to be a lot of kind of players coming and going as they look on to the next opportunity, maybe at a higher level. I would say uh, in its infancy here, but even if you look at the more successful teams last year, they probably kept twelve to fifteen out of their roster of twenty. So I think for some this will be their level, uh, and certainly. Uh, players have shown that maybe they didn't, you know, perform as well as they would have liked in their first year in this league, uh, and they're getting used to professional soccer. So for those first-year professionals or local lads, and and some of the ones who've, who've who've never experienced that before, maybe this will be their level, and you might see them being a a sort of veteran of the league. But I think for a lot of players, 
uh, and where we are currently, we have to be realistic. We're not the MLS. We're not there with the budgets or anything else. So we we could be a, a good breeding ground for talent uh, and a showcase for players to go on to that next level. But I think as it settles and more teams come into the league, certainly by year three, by year five, and, and in that rollout to 2026, then I think it will really shape the identity of what we're about and 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 I think honestly that at that stage we'll be able to compete with many of the MLS clubs uh, on those competitive bases, a little similar to Cavalry did against Vancouver Whitecaps this year. What does a typical day look like for you in December? Uh, up early at the stadium, and uh, you know the first couple of hours are typically catching up with uh, Europe, uh, and their market is closing for the day. So clubs, players, agents, players to speak to, uh, videos to watch, uh, things to follow up on, contract negotiations on that side of the pond. Uh, Middle of the day, uh, you really start settling in into the Canadian markets and uh, possibly some of the Asian markets as they shut down late into the evening, uh, wrapping up discussions, a lot of work internally with the staff. Uh, reviewing constantly where we're at, budget, uh, pre-season planning is, is, is going ahead, facilities, etc. And then as we start rolling into the afternoons and evenings, uh, a lot of work still out in the community, which is which is fantastic. We've been out doing sessions with clubs and districts and high schools and, and other programs in the city. Um, and then it, it's funny because as you start wrapping up, you know, then Europe's waking up again. Uh, and it, it's kind of the full cycle of the day on the Asian or Australian markets. We've got players in New Zealand, so you're touching base with them. You know, you, you can you can sort of work on a 24-hour cycle, really, because it's such a global game. But uh, a, an awful lot of work right now into uh, player selection and screening and interviewing and, and doing due diligence, really, to try and make sure that uh, the personnel we bring here uh, are going to make an impact from day one. couple more things before I let you go, Rob. Appreciate your time tonight. Christine Sinclair was named the Canadian Soccer Player of the Decade. What's been her impact on the sport in this country? Yeah, remarkable. You know, um, I think it, it, it's difficult. Sometimes people don't uh, give the, the full credit to the women's game and they've had to battle for it. But she she's like the Messi or the Ronaldo of the, of the female game. You know, her goal-scoring record at international level uh, along with like an Abby Wambach, you know, that it's it's phenomenal. You know, it's it's recognised worldwide by FIFA. Uh, she's been an unbelievable ambassador for the game, and, and a great great talent. And uh, thank goodness she's Canadian because I don't know what <laughs> we'd have done without her. <laughs> and finally, coaching culture is changing in hockey. It's under a microscope right now. Uh, how is the coaching culture in soccer? Is there a change needed there? No, you know what? I think it's been a good 15 years that we've moved on from that uh, old school mentality. Like there's, there's obviously going to still be a few out there, but uh, I think the carrot is always mightier than the stick, and certainly that's my philosophy. You want to help and develop and encourage players. I think if you're working with young people, you have to understand their mindset. You have to get to know them as as people and as individuals first and foremost and treat them as such and, and know what makes them tick. And I think if I look at the, the that 
level of sport and some other North American sports, it's it's been a bit archaic, really. Uh, and there's been people who've needed to move on and maybe they've had success in the past, so they keep getting regurgitated back in the jobs. But it's definitely changed in soccer worldwide over the years. Uh, and I, I think that old school dictatorial uh, bullying approach, it, it, it doesn't work in, in any walk of life right now. And, and hockey's finding that out. So I think it's only going to be positive for, for that game. Um, and of course, there's still some out there at every level of every sport. But with more education to parents, to players, uh, more choices available, the professionalization of the game everywhere on a global scale, I think uh, you'll see that they become, you know, the exception rather than the rule now. Well, Robert, appreciate your time tonight. Continued success through the off season, and all the best for the holidays. Awesome. Thanks, Christian. Merry Christmas, pal. And we'll uh, catch up in the new year. Stay warm. On October 25th, Winnipeg's Grace Fenbole won a pre-Olympic boxing qualifier, allowing her to attend the Olympic trials in Montreal. Win three matches and you qualify for Tokyo 2020. Lose, you go home. And fighting in the 51-gram flyweight division, she did lose her match today, unfortunately. But still an amazing story. Grace, originally from Liberia, having immigrated to Canada with her mom and six siblings, Back in 2006, I talked to her earlier today before her fight and started by asking her what it was about boxing that drew her in and when she started. Um, in 2015, it was um, I was just training for fun, just to stay fit for basketball. And um, I remember at, at a 6 a.m. basketball training, I just wasn't enjoying it anymore. So I walked away and, and chose to focus on boxing. And why was it boxing that you got it found more enticing than basketball? Um, honestly, at first I had no idea, but as um, as time went by, I I, I enjoyed the discipline and um, you know the the workouts and and the way my body changes and like the way I move in the ring and everything. And but but mostly the discipline. Boxing keeps me um, very very disciplined. So yeah. <laughs> So I imagine you use boxing as a way to train for basketball. Um, I, I I was I was before. Right. And um, yeah. Okay. Uh, now you came to Manitoba or from to Canada in 2006. What was your first impression of Canada? Um, so we came on November 8, 2006. Uh, when we landed in Toronto, it was so cold. We all looked very confused and. We didn't know what to do or what to say to each other. <laughs> so we were, um, I was confused. I was confused and lost. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, did you come right to Winnipeg uh, when you came to Canada? Yes. So we, uh, for our first stop was Toronto. Then we took a flight from Toronto to Winnipeg. Okay. And uh, so you got here right before winter of 2006. Yeah. And so were you ready for winter? Um, when we got to Toronto, we were given um, like winter jackets and boots and gloves, but we've never seen snow. We've never been in a super cold country, so we mentally we weren't ready. <laughs> and how long did it take for you to finally accept? Okay, this is what it's like now. After ten years, because um, we've been in Canada for thirteen years, so after ten years, 
we, you know, we we got used to it. I mean, you really never get used to the cold in Winnipeg, but we somewhat got used to it. <laughs> okay. Now, is there a, a Liberian? Is there a li- <laughs> sorry? Is there a Liberian community in Winnipeg? Um, actually, yeah, there is. There is a lab, um, Liberian um, organization in Winnipeg. Um, we're pretty small in Winnipeg, but um, but but yes, there is. Yes. And how did that help you transition to life in Canada? Um, you know, just coming to see my family and telling us where things are, where the grocery, um, the African grocery stores are, and you know how to take a bus and welcome place did help us a lot as well as also as our community. So you came here with your mother and six siblings. I imagine you were a very tight knit group. Yes. Yes. We, um, at one point we, um, the first month in Canada, we didn't, in Winnipeg, we actually didn't go outside cause it was snowing. We stayed in and we would look out the window every morning. <laughs> and what'd you do to pass the time then? We watched TV, we watched cartoons, you know, knowing um, that English was our second language. So watching cartoons did did help us a little bit. <laughs> okay. Now, how was your English when you came here? Um, it was pretty good. I grew up speaking English, but I, I, it was, I grew up speaking Liberian English. So um, switching to Canadian English was pretty easy for me and my sisters, the, the younger ones. But um, it was, it was a a little bit hard for my mom because um, she um, she did have um, a harder accent than I than I do. Okay, now uh, where do you sit in terms of your six siblings? Are you the oldest, youngest, in the middle? I'm in the middle. Okay, why did your family leave Liberia? Um, I believe it was due to war. My mom um, left Liberia and went to um, a refugee camp in Nigeria. And um, luckily, by the grace of God, um, the United Nations had a resettlement program, which she signed all of us, including herself, to resettle to Canada. And how how long did that process take? Um, It took a few years, but, um, you know, as time went by, um, my mom kept pushing and pushing for us to get out of there because um, it was in it was in a great place and we we were getting sick. You know we couldn't go to school. Um, sleeping situation was just very poor. <laughs> and now that you've been in Canada for 13 years, how often do you think about those times? All the time. Um, you know, even today, this morning. I was sitting and just thinking about how far um, have come and the sacrifices my mom made just to get us here. So um, it's 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 always in the back of my mind. So all the time I I think of how lucky and how blessed I am to be in in, in this country and also to be where I am right now. I'm I'm very very grateful. What have your uh, siblings found to do here in Canada? What have they been doing? Um, they all work, you know, they all have their own, um, their own thing they like to do. So, um, um, so, so we're all in a good path. We're all doing things that we enjoy to do and, you know, taking every opportunity that comes our way. Now your mother passed away, uh, nearly four years ago now, March of 2016, uh, from cancer. What, what kind of impact does your mother have still on your life? Um, 
my mom was um my mom was the head of the family so um you know not having her here and having to witness where I am um it's it's really sad um but but I I know that she um taught me to stay humble to be hardworking, and you know continue to push um to to push and follow my dreams so um yeah I'm 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 grateful for that yeah my mom is really the head of our family and the rock of our family so when you step in the ring are you fighting for her I was, but you know, this tournament, I am, I'm, I'm fighting for myself. You know, like every every fight I've, I've had, I would dedicate my fight to my mom. But you know, I've worked so hard. I've put my body through so much. You know, I still love my mom, and my mom would appreciate that I'm putting me first now and just you know fighting for myself. Now, financially, the process of trying to qualify for the Olympics is that something you have to cover yourself? Yes. Yes. Um, so we started a GoFundMe um, for myself and my coach Ken Brown. Um, it, it was um, a four thousand dollars. So so far we're, we're at three thousand three hundred. Um, it's it's closing down on Sunday, so we have till Sunday because then we got to pay for our hotel and yeah. Okay. Well, uh, wish you the best of luck. Of course, hopefully we'll 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 definitely follow your progress through this, and uh, hopefully you you win all three, and then. Is it once you that third one's done, you win that you're going to Tokyo? Finger crossed, hopefully. <laughs> but 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 honestly, no matter the results, I am super grateful to be here to gain more experience, and um, I'm just you know I'm just so fortunate and so blessed. No matter the results, um, I'm just I'm just happy to gain more knowledge and to become a better boxer. Well, Grace, I appreciate your time tonight. Good luck in this tournament, and best of luck as you go forward as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. The MJHL. Their season is about halfway done. A 60-game schedule. Every team has played at least 32 games. So to check in at the, let's call it the 55% point of the season is Commissioner Kim Davis. And Kim, what have you thought of the season so far? Well, uh, I mean, just in a nutshell, it's been, you know, really competitive uh, once again, and, and uh, uh, particularly at the, at the high end, if I could call it that, the, the top of the standings where, you know, I think we've got uh, six or seven points separating five or six teams, and uh, I might be off just a, a point or two uh, here or there, but, uh, uh, you know, that, that, that's really exciting and, uh, and obviously means that... Uh, um, you know, as the season goes into its final stage, um, it, you know it's going to be uh, it's going to be a dogfight to see who comes out not only on the top of standings, but then obviously once the playoffs get underway, uh, to see who who prevails uh, through those uh, series uh, that uh, that uh, after they unfold. So Time. yeah, really exciting, re- really competitive, and uh, just a just a great great action. Steinbach right now in first place with 50 points heading into tonight in 32 games. Portage at 47, Swan Valley 47, Wayway 46, and then there's a bit more of a gap after that. Uh, Portage, yeah. obviously, they're the, the cream of the crop every year, and they're hosting the national championship this season. So uh, how, what have you thought of both the Terriers and also the Pistons in their strong starts to the season? 
you know, it, it's um, it's very um, very well. It's just turned turned out to be very typical. You know, they they both teams, uh, both organizations, I should say, have been, you know, had a very long sort of tradition and run uh, uh, in our league uh, in the last ten years of uh, very consistent high performance. And so to see them at the top of the standings again is, uh, again, as I say, somewhat typical by the. By you know, based on the last uh, ten years or so of of action, and again, you know, they're doing it again this year. And and just in my observation, watching both clubs, they're 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 you know, they're just uh, just uh, you know, they're just workmanlike in a sense. Like they they work hard. Uh, they've got obviously some talented players, uh, both defensive players and offensive players, and uh, and uh, and just you know, stick to a tried and true. Uh, uh, formula of, of hard work and uh, and preparation and and you know and, and usually you, you have a good chance for success when that happens. And one of the more interesting parts of this is that those are the top two teams, and part of this is because they haven't played as many games as some of the other teams. But you look at the league leaders in scoring, and you don't see a piston or a terrier on the list until number fourteen in points, and that's Riley yeah. Bruce. So it's definitely a full team effort from both of those squads. Yeah, they, they you know both teams uh you know have uh you know have some good depth so you know they're they're sort of uh, strong throughout their entire lineup and I'm sure if you ask them individually they would say they'd like to be better and stronger and and more complete but uh you know from what again from my observation they both seem to have a, a good degree of depth and uh you know that's not necessarily the case with some of the other teams that are a little bit lower in the standings and and often that you know that depth does translate into into good uh a good uh um, um position in the standings uh, regardless of whether it's our league or or any other league leading score right now to Nakoda and gray eyes from Dauphin, fifty points in twenty nine uh-huh. games <laughs> and an o one birth date pretty great start for his season yeah yeah he uh he's he's had a tremendous start and uh Obviously, uh, you know we're, we're beyond the start now, of course, but uh, you know he's continuing that, uh, um, and has uh, you know ha- ha- I think he's really turned a lot of heads, uh, in my opinion. Uh, uh, you know, watching him play last year, um, being his first year in the league last year, you, you could see that there was uh, you know some some talent uh, in in his game and and some potential. So. To see that he's uh, continue his development and uh, um, and, and really um, uh, advanced it uh, to the point where he's you know a really uh, huge offensive con- contributor is is really great to see and obviously uh, I'm sure that that often Kings are, are happy with that as well. And no surprise, one of the big reasons why both Steinbach and Portage are doing really well is their goaltending. Matt Lenz for the Steinbach Pistons, sixteen two and one. With a two eleven goals against average and nine twenty four save percentage, that's all basically tops in the league in every category. Uh, born in ninety nine, so he's one of the older players in the league, but certainly a big part of their success. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, again, uh, this is a player who uh, played in the league last year, uh, but has an op- has has gotten an opportunity this year to, um, you know, to to take a, the lion's share of uh, of of games uh, that his team plays and uh and he's and he's uh he, he's he's uh, you know uh, advanced himself to and accepted the challenge and and performed which is you know 
in a nutshell, that's exactly what, what our league is about, is giving, you know, players like that, any player, that opportunity. And then, you know, it's really up to them to, to deliver on it, right? So it's, these are great stories to, 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 um, for me to talk about uh, and, and for people to notice. And, and uh, uh, I, I just get excited when I, when I think about uh, uh, the opportunity these young, uh, these young men are getting and, and how they're taking advantage of them. Do you have a Christmas break coming up? Um, we, yeah, we, you know what, we, we do. We, we, our, 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 the tradition in our league has been for a number of years now is to, is to take, you know, close to a, you know, eight to 10 day, uh, eight to 10 days off without games. And it, it actually isn't technically, uh, you know, in our bylaws, but, uh, the, the, the teams do, uh, take time away. Uh, the, the players, the ones that aren't that aren't you know Manitoba players, they they go home to their various uh, with their families and or you know or whatever else they do, and they so they get a bit of a break and and uh, obviously it, it's it's a good opportunity for all participants, whether they be coaches, general managers, players, trainers, uh, league office, uh, to get a few days away and, and just relax. Uh, now today the league also announced uh, plans for the 2020 player identification camp coming up in April in Grand Forks. Anything new there? Uh, you, you know, n- n- not markedly, uh, you know, other than, uh, you know, we're, we're just announcing that we're doing it again and we're excited about it. We're, we're, we're thrilled uh, that there's a number of uh, U.S. players playing in our league, as, as I'm sure you're aware. And uh, we, um, f- from, the, from the area directly, you know, south of us here in Manitoba, uh, uh, you know, um, North Dakota, Minnesota, et cetera, South Dakota, is where a lot of players that are currently playing league are coming are from. Uh, but there's U.S. players from other parts of the United States as well. So we're we're certainly hoping to make it, um, you know, equally uh, equally good in terms of quality of players that 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 come to the camp. And we've still got a fair bit of work left to do that to to get those invitations out to players, but. Uh, again, we're really excited about having that that type of a of an event uh, to uh, to show players south of the border what the opportunities are like up here for them to continue their development. And finally, anything else coming up for the league other than the the games on the ice? You know, uh, not 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 as far as December, of course. As I said, with with our you know roughly ten day break, uh, but you know once we get back early in the new year, we'll uh, we'll be getting going on. Uh, the SJHL showcase, uh, which is coming, uh, you know, around the 20th of January out in Regina, and uh, and before that, we've got the CJHL prospects game with one player, Carter Loney from the Steinbeck Pistons attending. Um, that there isn't really a whole lot there for us to do, and the event isn't in Manitoba, of course. But uh, those are are two uh, two important things on our calendar, and. And, uh, you know, after that, then we'll be, get, you know, winding down towards the last month of the season and, uh, and getting ready for the playoffs. So it's going to go by pretty quick uh, the, way, the way as I start thinking about it as I'm talking. But, uh, yeah, we're really excited. And, uh, we, you know, we've had a great, uh, as you said, 55 60% of the season so far. But really looking forward to the last half as well. Well, Kim, have fun down the stretch. We'll talk to you in the new year. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Have a happy new year. And you we'll bet. talk to you soon. All the best to you. Take care.
Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell. Or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck. But Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?